I think it's terrible. I think it's a disgrace what's happening in our country. A lot of people should be ashamed. Donald Trump is right. I rarely say that. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, on the Central Coast of Oregon on KYAQ, and in Cottage Grove on KSOW Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and other fine affiliate partners broadcasting over the internets and on the terrestrial airwaves. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, blanketing planet Earth five days a week, as we do. Uh, Memo to you. This is the broadcast. How's that for a memo? <laughs> memo day. It, it is indeed. Uh, so, but it was, uh, let's start here. It was, uh, oh, and hello, Desi Doyen. Oh, hey. Sorry, I'm so excited to get to this. Oh, I'm this, sure you are. Uh, yeah. So it was two weeks ago, uh, to the day, in fact, that um, Donald Trump signed into a law a, uh, a six-year extension of the FISA, or Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, amendments bill. We spoke about it just two days before he, uh, he ended up uh, signing that bill with former Department of Justice attorney Elizabeth Goitin. She's now the co-director of the Brennan Center's National Security Program. And in that conversation, uh, we discussed the ways in which the FISA and the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court that's where the DOJ, the Department of Justice, and the FBI and the NSA, etc., must go to get a warrant to secretly eavesdrop and collect information on Americans thought to be involved in some form of espionage or other crimes and acts against the U.S. That's the court they have to go to to get that warrant um, that can be used against Americans without their knowledge to eavesdrop on them, to take their emails and phone calls and... Um, And they can do all of that. They can do all of that against Americans, even without a warrant, if they have uh, if they eavesdrop on foreign uh, the the foreign persons and there happen to be talking to Americans. As a matter of fact, if Americans are talking to Americans and that gets picked up in relation to one of these warrants, then that can be used in some fashion against those Americans as well. 
We talked about all of that. We talked about the concerns about FISA, the years-long concerns about FISA with uh, Elizabeth Goitin just two days before Donald Trump signed an extension to that law for six more years. Now, FISA was somewhat amended uh, a few years ago after the Edward Snowden revelations to make it somewhat more likely that material... Uh, challenging a motion for a warrant in this secret FISA court would be seen by the court. But she told us in most cases the court merely goes along with whatever sort of warrant that prosecutors and investigators are seeking, and the court itself almost always approves of such motions to spy even when it is on Americans. As long as investigators have probable cause to be concerned about it, the FISA court almost always gives a thumbs up. In general, and certainly before the uh, the amendment a few years back, this was back in uh, 2013 after uh, Snowden's revelation, the FISA court is 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 has always been very different from a non-secret from a non-secret real court in that there is nobody there to oppose the government's motion. The prosecutor comes in, asks for this warrant, and there is no real adversarial body to challenge the government's case for why this extraordinary secret warrant to spy on an American might be necessary. The way you would expect to see in a normal court of law, where there's a, a, you know, there's a prosecutor, uh, they have attorneys, there's defenders, they have attorneys... But there's nobody to really challenge the potential deficiencies in a government application for a FISA warrant in this secret court. And therefore, such applications for warrants are almost always granted in secret by the FISA court. As mentioned just two weeks ago, two weeks ago, the FISA law was extended and indeed expanded for another six years despite a big effort by civil libertarians on both the right and the left to put curbs and restrictions on that law. But ultimately, it got more support uh, from uh, people who opposed any sort of reform. Now, I should say the, the reformers, they got more support than they ever have on this. Nonetheless, their hopes for restrictions on this law failed, and those in Congress who support virtually unfettered spying on Americans by our national security apparatus, those people won the day again just two weeks ago. FISA was extended for another six years after it was approved in both the House and the Senate. And you know who voted in favor of that expansion of FISA and against new restrictions on it just two weeks ago today? Well, among others, a Republican congressman by the name of Devin Nunes. He's from California's 22nd Congressional District, and he also happens to serve as the chairman of the U.S. House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. The measure was adopted in the House with that expansion to FISA, making it easier for the government to spy on Americans as supported by Devin Nunes and then signed the very next day by the president of the United States, one Donald J. Trump. So it is with a, more than a bit of irony today that a three-and-a-half-page memo prepared by Nunes and his staff and potentially in collusion with, the, with the, the White House and Donald Trump himself, perhaps, there is some irony that that memo was released to the public by Nunes and the president on Friday. 
This memo that was supposed to be so shocking and so disturbing and so damning against those who have long been investigating Team Trump's ties to Russia and Donald Trump's apparent obstruction of justice in attempting to block that investigation, that it would entirely wipe out the need for such an investigation at all. As a matter of fact, it would prove that the investigation itself should herewith be ended. Here's just some of the venting about all of this from Republicans in Congress and, of course, Fox News over the past week in advance of the release of this Nunes memo. This is earth-shaking, and it does go deeper than Watergate. Sean, this is bigger than anything anybody can imagine. When you say that, that, this makes Watergate like stealing a Snickers bar. Remember, why was America created? It was created because of the usurpation of power. It was about tea tax. This... This is a hundred times bigger. When the public begins to question the integrity of, uh, of uh, the department and the FBI and conclude in the absence of other information that somehow politics has taken over rather than, than, the, than the law, uh, that's a very serious uh, matter and we need to get that uh, cleared up. There's really a mosaic of evidence here that illuminates tremendous bias that should stop this probe from going forward. You need to care about this because we will lose our constitutional republic if we don't get to the bottom of this. And when all this information finally sees the light of day, it will remove any doubt that the special counsel, Robert Mueller, his team of partisan Democratic donors need to be disbanded and their witch hunt needs to be shut down immediately. Well, uh, that material has seen the light of day as of Friday. That's the day after uh, Congressman Jeff Duncan, the Republican from South Carolina, said on Twitter, having read the memo, the FBI is right to have, quote, grave concerns about it as it will shake the organization down to its core, showing Americans just how the agency was weaponized, weaponized by the Obama officials the DNC, Hillary Rodham Clinton, to target political adversaries. He adds, hashtag release the memo. Well, long story short, despite uh, fierce objections from the DOJ and the FBI, including Donald Trump's own appointed Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and Donald Trump's own recently appointed FBI Director Christopher Wray, who warned on Thursday of their, great, quote, grave concerns about material omissions of fact that fundamentally impact the memo's accuracy. Despite that, despite the fact that details of a FISA warrant uh, are highly classified and have never been made, at least purposely made public by any U.S. government body, despite all of that, Trump signed off on the release of this memo in unredacted form on Friday morning. That loud thud you may have heard on Friday morning, that may have been the release of that much ballyhooed memo. The much ballyhooed, at least by Fox News and the wingnut Republicans in the U.S. House and in the White House. And it's not as if there weren't warnings about all of this. Here's Stephen Colbert just last night before the memo was released on Friday. We get reports that there is a rising fear in the White House that Nunes' memo is a dud. And some of the White House are questioning whether it's worth angering the FBI director and the intelligence community by releasing it. Sir, I know we promised Sean Hannity we'd slather ourselves with honey and run through the bear cave, but it's starting to feel like maybe a bad idea. <laughs> 
Well, in fact, uh, whether it's a bad idea or not will be uh, talked about endlessly, I suspect, for uh, for the in the coming days. But as of Friday, House Republicans released a disputed memo compiled by congressional aides that accused the FBI and Justice Department of abusing their surveillance powers to spy on a former Trump campaign advisor by the name of Carter Page. According to The New York Times' coverage, Page was on the radar of intelligence agencies for many years when Donald Trump named him to be one of his foreign policy advisors in 2016. Page had visited Moscow in July of 2016, was preparing to return there in December of 2016 after the election when investigators obtained this warrant from the secret FISA court. In fact, Page had been closely watched by the government as far back as 2013 when he was discussed in uh, wiretaps of Russian intelligence officers who were eventually charged and convicted of espionage. And while it's less than clear that Page knew he was being recruited by the Russian operatives who are overheard in these uh, in these wiretaps, there was certainly good reason for Carter Page to be on the radar of U.S. counterintelligence personnel when Trump named him as a foreign policy advisor for his campaign and as Page made several trips to Moscow before and after the 2016 presidential election. Now, to be clear, I don't know that Carter Page has done anything wrong at all. He has been charged with no wrongdoing. Um I suspect he has been uh, interviewed by uh, the special counsel, but we don't know that he did anything wrong. We didn't don't even know that he knew at the time that there were these Russian agents, these Russian intelligence officers uh, attempting to uh, to to bring him on board. Now, the Nunes memo released on Friday according to the Times, uh, has prompted a political firestorm. It also criticizes information used by law enforcement officials in their application for a warrant to wiretap Carter Page. That was in the secret FISA court, and it names senior FBI and Justice Department officials who approved the highly classified warrant. But... The Times notes, the failing New York Times notes, the uh, the memo falls well short of providing the material promised by some Republicans, namely that the evidence it contained would cast doubt on the origins of the Russia investigation and possibly undermine the inquiry, which has been taken over by the special counsel, Robert S. Mueller, who is not, I should note, named or mentioned in any way in this memo. Since this all had to do with a FISA warrant that was obtained long before Donald Trump fired uh, the Republican FBI director James Comey or before the Republican deputy attorney general Rod Rosenstein took over the investigation uh, after Donald Trump's attorney general Jeff Sessions recused himself because he was also a member of the Trump presidential campaign, which is now being investigated. So Mueller doesn't even come up in this thing at all. Instead, the document confirms that actions taken by another former Trump foreign policy advisor, guy by the name of George Papadopoulos, that uh, those actions were a factor in the opening of this investigation. Papadopoulos has pleaded guilty uh, last year to lying to the FBI about his contacts with people said to be connected to Russia. And he's now cooperating, uh, supposedly, with the special counsel probe. 
The memo's chief accusations center on investigators' inclusion in the FISA warrant application of material from a former British spy, that would be Christopher Steele, the author of that infamous Steele dossier. He was researching possible ties between Russia's alleged election interference and Trump associates. But the FISA application did not explain that he was financed by the DNC and lawyers for the Hillary Clinton campaign, at least according to the Nunes memo that was released on Friday. It's also unclear if Steele even knew that he was being paid by the DNC or the Hillary Clinton campaign. He was hired by uh, Fusion GPS, the uh, opposition research firm that was initially hired by Republicans to get dirt on Donald Trump before a law firm funded by the DNC and Hillary Clinton uh, contracted with Fusion GPS to continue that oppo research on Donald Trump and his ties to Russia. Whether Steele knew that or not, whether Steele knew who he was actually working for, who was uh, paying for uh, for his work, that is unclear. That's not discussed in this memo. And this memo only talks about what Devin Nunes and his staff want to uh, point out concerning this FISA warrant. It doesn't include the entire FISA warrant. So it's sort of cherry picked as Democrats have been uh, have been charging. It's not clear to what extent the FISA application hinged on that material from Christopher Steele. Because it was cherry picked, as the FBI and the DOJ and the Democrats have all been uh, pointing out, Republicans nonetheless uh, decided they wanted to release this memo with these cherry picked portions of the FISA court warrant application. We don't know how big a role that dossier ended up playing in that warrant. Because that's the only thing pretty much that Nunes talks about in this three and a half page explosive memo. He only talks about that aspect, and House Republicans voted against releasing a memo in reply to it by the Democrats said to offer much more context. Although, as I understand, uh, the, the memo from the Democrats on the House Intel Committee, that, that should be coming uh, in, in several days. But after this memo was released on Friday, uh, James Comey, the fired Republican FBI director, said, uh, quote, that's it? Dishonest and misleading memo wrecked the House Intel Committee, destroyed trust with intelligence community, damaged relationship with FISA court and inexcusably exposed classified investigation of an American citizen. For what? He asked. DOJ and FBI must keep doing their job, says James Comey on the Twitters. Brian Butler of Crooked Media says this plot to take down Trump by getting a wiretap on a campaign volunteer two weeks before the election, then not saying anything about it, does not strike me as airtight. <laughs> you think? Kind of kind of lame. This is the plot? This is the plot to take down the president? Something that happened before he was elected and nobody ever talked about it? Marcy Wheeler, national security journalist uh, over at Empty Wheel, uh, who's a guest uh, many times on this program for years and years, says in all caps, Man, you guys got taken for a effing hayride by Devin Nunes. The uh, the Nunes said in a statement uh, accompanying the release of this memo that, quote, the committee has discovered serious violations of the public trust and the American people have a right to know when officials in crucial institutions are abusing their authority for political purposes. 
He uh, portrayed the memo as recounting a, quote, alarming series of events in which intelligence and law enforcement agencies were, quote, exploited to target one group on behalf of another. Now, this is a really short memo. It's only about three and a half pages long. You can read it. It is now everywhere. It's available everywhere. It was hard to get when it, uh, in the first few minutes that it came out. A lot of crashed a lot of websites with people trying to look at it. So, you know, give it a look yourself. Don't take my word for it. Don't ever believe me about anything. Make me prove my case. Go look at this memo. Go read it. See if by the time you finish reading it, you don't go, that's it? Just like James Comey did. And just like, uh, Des, I was yeah. uh, in the room after w while you were reading it when you finished. You said the exact same I thing. I did. I did. I said, wait, that's it? That's it? That's all? Top officials and investigators at the FBI and Justice Department, uh, according to Donald Trump, the president of the United States, have politicized the sacred investigative process. He said in reference to this memo before the release of the memo, Trump tweeted the top leadership and investigators of the FBI and the Justice Department have politicized the sacred investigative process in favor of Democrats and against Republicans. Something which had which would have been unthinkable just a short time ago, the president said. Now, mind you, most of the people cited in this memo are actually Republicans. You know, Rod Rosenstein, uh, Jim Comey, etc., etc. But somehow the sacred investigative process has been politicized in favor of Democrats and against Republicans, oddly enough, by a whole bunch of Republicans. So you read that memo, you decide for yourself. But here's the thing. As I noted at the top, it was just two weeks ago. Two weeks ago that Donald Trump extended and expanded this very FISA process that both he and Devin Nunes are now complaining about. This is not new information to either of them. They both knew about this at least two weeks ago, but both supported the extension of that FISA program as is without any additional restrictions, any reforms that might have, uh, you know, led to some prosecutorial or, or some uh, attorney body being in there and saying, no, wait a minute. This uh, we shouldn't rely on this information from this uh, dossier because it was paid for by Democrats or something like that. For all I know, that. That already could have been part of the proceedings. But if they were really concerned about this, they would have reformed FISA so that there could be a true adversarial body in there contesting uh, the way you see lawyers on TV contesting the information that the government was bringing to the secret FISA court. But both Nunes and Trump did not want that. They both supported the extension of the program rather than insisting on real adversarial proceedings that might have raised the, these complaints, any complaints with the FISA warrant that they both now pretend to be so disturbed about today. Yeah, that's what struck me. For people who are trying to say, hey, don't trust the FBI, they sure did trust the FBI two weeks ago when they knew that this was the contents of the memo. They gave him a thumbs up to keep on doing this for six more years without restriction. It's almost like they do actually trust the FBI. Yeah, of course they do. Unless... 
they want to make a political case about why the FBI should stop investing them, investigating them. Uh, th- thanks to uh, a Twitter follower, by the way, Run to Daylight, who sent me this clip just before we went to air here. This is from Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, who appears to have made the very same point this morning on MSNBC's Morning Joe. The saddest thing about this whole memo from uh, Congressman Nunes is he withheld this sort of scandal until after we reauthorized FISA for six years with no reforms, no warrant requirement that actually will control this. And so the same bias that you're worried about, that Nunes is worried about, he did nothing to reform the system. He gave them more power. (laughs) So there you go. I hate to agree with a Republican senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul, but (laughs) yeah, absolutely right. Now, while most of Fox News has been beside themselves calling for the release of this nothing burger memo over the past week, one guy at Fox News was not. In a, uh, a long segment on his program, Fox, uh, Fox News's Shepard Smith tried to supply some context for this highly partisan sturm and drong over the supposedly explosive memo that has been going on for the past week. Democrats say it is misleading and meant to make investigators look bad so people are less likely to believe their findings, tear down the institutions of government and the news organizations which report so neither will be believed in the event of negative findings on the president or his administration. Some Republicans say that memo is so damning it could shut down the special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. Remember, this began with Devin Nunes, the same Devin Nunes who last year made White House surveillance claims, staged a rush to the White House to purportedly share surveillance information with the administration, but actually took information from the administration and staged a report of it. At its core, it was PR, and it was bogus. Devin Nunes wrote the memo currently in question. A memo can be a weapon of partisan mass distraction, especially at a pivotal moment in American history when it behooves the man in charge for supporters to believe the institutions can't be trusted, investigators are corrupt, and the news media are liars. Context matters. Yes, it does. And that was Fox News's Shepard Smith, who I still cannot believe has a job at Fox News. This memo, of course, has served as a weapon of partisan mass distraction, as Smith notes, for both Republicans and Democrats, frankly. And yes, the media, who uh, too often uh, take this kind of bait. I'm sorry myself that I've spent this many minutes talking about it on this program. But I think that FISA aspect needs to be pointed out because everyone is playing this as, you know, a partisan food fight and they're not looking at uh, what we had warned about on this show, you know, several weeks ago. And actually for years we've been talking about FISA. But if you have a real concern about, uh, you know, the the way uh, the FISA process can be used, then do something about it. Nunes and Trump did not because they don't have real concerns. This is a weapon of partisan mass distraction, and it has all served to distract from whatever the Trump administration is actually doing right now, and that is receiving far less coverage than it should as the media cover this entire investigation and the Republicans' response to it as if it was Super Bowl sports coverage 24-7 on cable news channels. 
I'm sure we'll return to this matter in some form or another in the coming days. Um, but as uh, Democrats uh, finally release their response to all of this, no doubt we'll talk about it. But for now, just some of what they are not adequately covering for the American people on in the U.S. media while they're serving as ESPN for politics. Some of that is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Don't be cruel to who harness true. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Well, I've been uh, talking recently about how a fish, they say, rots from the head down. Well, Donald Trump is a cruel person, and his cruelty. Uh, has seemingly now begun to work its way down to permeate its way into our executive agencies under his command. Years ago, uh, I mean Monday of this past <laughs> week, uh, when Donald Trump was finally successful in pushing out longtime civil servant and, and deputy FBI director Andrew McCabe. Remember that? That was just not even a week ago. Uh, he had taken over, McCabe had taken over as acting FBI director for a short time after Trump had fired Comey and before his new appointee, uh, Christopher Wray, had taken over. Uh, Trump was apparently mad at or, or suspicious of McCabe, I guess because some years ago McCabe's wife ran unsuccessfully for office as a Democrat in Virginia where she received money from a PAC that was associated with the state's then-Democratic governor, Terry McAuliffe, who was close with Hillary Clinton. And through that convoluted pathway, somehow Donald Trump decided he didn't want to trust Andrew McCabe. NBC News ran a story on the day that McCabe was finally pushed out on Monday, detailing a phone call that Trump had had, had with McCabe just after the firing of James Comey. After he abruptly fired Comey as the head of the FBI in May 2017, Donald Trump blasted the bureau's former deputy director, Andrew McCabe, who had abruptly who abruptly departed on Monday and insulted McCabe's wife when Comey flew back to Washington, D.C. on an FBI plane, according to NBC News. Citing multiple unnamed sources familiar with Trump's call to McCabe, Trump demanded to know why the newly terminated Comey was allowed to travel on a government-funded plane. Trump had fired Comey when he was uh, actually out here in Southern California, a few blocks away, I think, at the time. He was going to give a speech. and An uh, FBI speech to FBI correct. recruits. Yeah. FBI and, business. And that's when he had flown out here on FBI plane to give that uh, speech on FBI business. Uh, and that's when he was fired by Donald Trump. Comey didn't even know he wasn't fired personally. He saw it on, on TV. He thought it was a joke. And then the question rose, well, how's Comey going to get back home to D.C. after having flown out here on a government plane? McCabe told Trump that uh, nobody had asked him 
for authorization for Comey's travel back on the FBI plane that he had flown out here on. But McCabe said that he would have given Comey the green light if he had been asked about it, because what are they going to do? Abandon him out here in California? Good luck to you, Bubba, getting back. You've been fired. You can walk back to the East Coast. Well, uh, after McCabe told Trump that, yeah, he would have authorized Comey, allow him to come back on the FBI plane. Uh, according to tr- to uh, to NBC News's report, Trump then told McCabe to ask his wife what it felt like to be a loser. Referring to that run for office in Virginia some years ago, according to NBC News, uh, McCabe replied, OK, sir. And then Trump hung up the phone on him. So in addition to being a lousy president who who knows almost nothing about government or governing, Donald Trump is just a very bad and a very cruel person. Sadly, he was uh, successful in pushing McCabe out of his job finally earlier this week, uh, even though there was no cause to do so other than Trump decided he didn't like him. That was on Monday. On Tuesday, then, it was reported by uh, Bloomberg News that Donald Trump was reportedly furious when the Department of Justice released guidance against unveiling the comments of the classified memo created by Republican House Intel Chair Devin Nunes that was ultimately released to a great and mighty thud on Friday. The memo that apparently the president believed when he was told by Fox News that it would prove an anti-Trump bias within the FBI and the Justice Department. The memo does not do that by a long shot, at least to my eyes, but you can read it yourself. In any event, Bloomberg uh, notes that uh, Trump's own associate AG Stephen Boyd told the House Intelligence Committee last week that it would be extraordinarily reckless to declassify and release the memo comments that reportedly pushed Trump over the edge. The president blew up over Boyd's letter. He just became furious over uh, what Boyd had to say when he was aboard Air Force One en route to to, uh, to Davos, Switzerland last week, according to four people familiar with the matter who spoke to Bloomberg. They also reported that Donald Trump told Attorney General Jeff Sessions that he needs to succeed in his job or he would be remembered as the worst attorney general in history. This is a mean and cruel man, and he's not just terrible at his job. He, he's very terrible at it, but he's also mean and cruel and he's vicious. And unfortunately, since a fish rots from the head down, his cruelty now seems to be working its way down and permeate, permeating the federal government and the federal executive agencies and, of course, policies that are all under his command. For example, as AP reported then on Wednesday, the Trump administration said it would allow nearly 7,000 Syrians to remain in the U.S. for another 18 months, but won't let more Syrian citizens apply for the special protection program. The decision was a partial relief for aid organizations and advocates for displaced Syrians who feared uh, Donald Trump might end the program entirely, forcing those in the U.S. to leave or face deportation. Yet those same groups blasted the president for excluding more recent arrivals to the U.S., pointing out that Syria remains devoid of any notion of stability or normalcy. Under a humanitarian program known as the Temporary Protected Status uh, Program, thousands of Syrians have been allowed to avoid returning home to their war-torn country. 
But the current program has been set to expire on March 31, forcing Trump to decide whether he would extend it. Uh, he now has, at least for those who have been in the U.S. before uh, uh, since August 1, 2016. However, uh, they are eligible. Those people are eligible for that extension, but it disqualifies newer arrivals who may soon have to go back to a still war-torn country or find somewhere else to go. Congressman Bill Pascrell of uh, Democrat of New Jersey, who had urged Trump to both extend the protections and let new arrivals apply, called the move just another cruel way to leave people in need of assistance out in the cold. The decision will be hardest felt AP notes in California, in Michigan, in Texas, which are top destinations for the roughly 86,000 Syrians living in the U.S. Since taking office, Trump has cut the special protection status for uh, citizens of several countries, including Honduras and El Salvador. The U.S. created temporary protected status in 1990 to provide a safe haven from countries affected by earthquakes and floods and hurricanes and wars and other disasters, and it currently shields several hundred thousand people from 10 countries, underscoring currently. Under Trump's watch, much of that, the U.S. serving as a safe haven for the oppressed and the endangered, uh, or as the Statue of, Statue of Liberty says, for the uh, huddled masses yearning to be breathe free. That notion of the U.S. upon which much of this nation was built, uh, that appears to be coming to a close. While the cable news channels are doing their version of ESPN politics uh, as uh, sports, real people are suffering under this administration. And it's not getting the coverage that it deserves. From Huffington Post this week, for example. Weeks of confusion and inconsistencies from immigration officials ended on Monday after U.S. authorities deported a Palestinian man who had been living in the U.S. for nearly 40 years. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, had kept Amir... Othman Adi, 57 years old, in detention for two weeks, ignoring a House Judiciary Committee request for the Department of Homeland Security review of his case, which would have allowed him to temporarily remain in the U.S. Congressman Tim Ryan, Democrat of Ohio, said in a highly irregular rebuke of congressional authority by ICE, Amir Othman was ripped from his four daughters, his wife and the country that he has called his home for over 30 years, actually 39 years. Ryan had been fighting his deportation and said in a statement that Amir was a pillar of the community and brought commerce to a downtown that craved investment. He hired members of our community. He paid taxes. He did everything right. There are violent criminals walking the streets, yet our government wasted our precious resources incarcerating this man. Othman Adi arrived in the U.S. 39 years ago, and uh, his wife and three daughters, they are all U.S. citizens. He had his green card revoked after authorities accused him of marriage fraud. He was never granted a day in court to fight the charge, despite his ex-wife signing an affidavit confirming that the marriage was indeed legitimate and claiming that authorities had pressured her to previously say the marriage had been fake. He and his current wife have been fighting the charge for years without success. 
He's been facing a deport order since 2009. Uh, he was spared under Barack Obama's administration thanks to a private bill that was passed in the U.S. House of Representatives. Donald Trump did away with that provision, and in September, Othman Adi attended what he thought was a regular ICE check-in meeting. Instead, agents placed an ankle bracelet on him and told him that he had until uh, January 7 to leave the country. Earlier this year, he was told that the deportation had in fact been called off. But when he showed up for another routine ICE meeting on January 16 of this year, he was detained with no explanation and he was placed in jail. On January 18, the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Im Immigration and Border Security voted to request that the DHS review Othman Adi's case, which would have placed a six-month stay on his deportation, but ICE ignored that request. His wife grew increasingly concerned when on Monday of this past week, she did not receive her daily call from him. Later that night, around 8 p.m., the family said they finally learned that he had been moved from Youngstown, Ohio, to Chicago, where he was awaiting a flight to Amman, Jordan. And just three hours later, after only a quick goodbye, he left. He was sent away. Well, at least they got to say goodbye. So there's that. That is better treatment, I suppose, than uh, many others seem to be getting right now under this cruel administration and this cruel uh, way that ICE is now uh, carrying out Donald Trump's thuggish orders to throw out people like that who have been in the country for 40 years. Non-criminals. There was really zero yep. reason to kick him out when, as that other person said, there are plenty of criminals you guys could go out and investigate and round up. No reason, I guess, unless you're a cruel jerk uh, who ran for a cruel racist jerk who ran for office on the idea of, I guess, rounding up everyone who is not a U.S. citizen and running them out of the country, particularly, I guess, if they have a, uh, a Middle Eastern sounding name. But he got to say goodbye uh, on the phone or something uh, very quickly before he was shipped away. And his family was uh, broken up. His family, his wife, his three daughters, his business. Well, comparing the Trump administration's immigration practices to those of an authoritarian regime, a federal judge in Manhattan on Monday ordered the immediate release of a detained immigrant rights activist, U.S. District Judge Catherine B. Forrest, said in this uh, remarkable order, uh, that it was unconstitutional and cruel for authorities to, quote, pluck him out of his life without a moment's notice. No, we're not talking about that man from uh, that, that Palestinian who was deported. This was someone else. Forrest ruled that immigration officials violated Ravi Ragbir's due process rights when they abruptly detained him during a January 11 check-in. Ragbir a Trinidad and Tobago native who was facing a final deportation order should have been allowed, quote, the freedom to say goodbye, unquote, according to the judge, and to organize his affairs before being taken into custody, the judge said. She wrote, it ought not to be, and it never has been before. 
that those who have lived without incident in this country for years are subject to treatment we associate with regimes we revile as unjust. Regimes where those who have long lived in a country may be taken without notice from streets, home, and work, and sent away, said Forrest. She read her seven-page opinion aloud in the courtroom. We are not that country, Forrest said, and woe be the day that we become that country under a fiction that law allows it. Supporters in the packed downtown courtroom cheered when the judge said Ragbeer must be freed, according to the Associated Press. He was released Monday night from the Orange County Correctional Facility in Goshen, New York, and plans to continue fighting uh, his deportation, according to his attorney. Forrest's ruling amounted to an unusually stinging rebuke of the administration's crackdown on immigration, writes the Washington Post, even amid a flurry of other strongly worded judicial opinions regarding Trump's immigration policies that we've seen in recent months. Ragbeer is the director of the immigrant advocacy group New Sanctuary Coalition in New York, which is a collection of 150 faith-based organizations. He became a lawful U.S. resident in 1994, but in 2000, he was convicted of wire fraud and conspiracy for accepting a fraudulent loan application while he was working at a mortgage lender. After serving a prison sentence, he was ordered deported based on his conviction. He spent about two years in detention but was released under supervision in 2008 while his case moved through immigration courts. And over the following decade, he became a prominent voice in New York's immigrant community, testifying to the city council, once meeting with President Barack Obama to discuss immigration policy. He married a U.S. citizen in 2010, and during that time he received work authorization and four stays of removal. The government court papers show that he checked in regularly with ICE as required, but eventually his appeals ran out and he received a final deportation order. His last stay was valid through January 19, according to documents. However, on January 11, eight days prior to that, during a check-in with immigration agents, ICE just took him into custody. He was apparently so shocked by this decision, he lost consciousness. He had to be taken to the hospital, according to court records. ICE argued in uh, their court papers that they had the final say over Ragbeer's status in the U.S. because he was already subject to a final removal order, so I guess they can just grab him any old time they want, lock him up, put him in detention, ship him away. The government said Mr. Ragbeer has received all the due process he is con constitutionally due. Uh, except the fact that he was told that his last stay was valid through January 19, not through January 11, when he was locked up. Had no idea this was about to happen. In her ruling on Monday, Judge Forrest said there was no question that Ragbeer knew he was facing Im imminent deportation. He knew he was going to be sent away. He knew he had uh, pretty much run out of option, options. But, she wrote, if due process means anything at all, it means that we must look at the totality of circumstances and determine whether we have dealt fairly when we are depriving a person of the most essential aspects of life, liberty, and family, Forrest said. She said it was wrong to, quote, pluck him out of his life without a moment's notice, remove him from his family and community without a moment's notice. 
The process that is due here is the allowance that he know and understand that the time has come, that he must organize his affairs, and that he must do so by a date certain. Forrest said Ragbeer had lived the life of a redeemed man. She said the government had offered no evidence that he had acted unlawfully, nor any evidence that he would not have left the country on his own accord, as many immigrants in his position are allowed to do. She said, taking such a man, and there are many such men and women like him, and subjecting him to what is rightfully understood as no different or better than penal detention is certainly cruel, the judge wrote. The Constitution commands better. Well, at least we thought it did. At least it used to. Thankfully, for now anyway, there's a federal judge uh, willing to say that out loud and to act on it. But as uh, as Trump crowed uh, once again at the GOP retreat in West Virginia just on Thursday, I think it was, uh, he has succeeded in appointing more federal judges to lifetime appointments on the bench than any other president in his first year. Once those federal appointees, those judges with these lifetime appointments, once they become embedded in the system, it is unclear if they will show the mercy and the fealty to constitutional protections, as Judge uh, Catherine B. Forrest did, or whether they will become merely an extension of the very, very cruel man that is now sitting in the White House who appointed those new judges. And by the way, it would be nice if corporate media spent just a little bit more time reporting on these stories that are affecting people right now than on the partisan political food fights that seem to fill our cable channels now 24-7. Quick break, and we are back with uh, a bit more on the Bradcast. We'll try to cheer you up. Wish me luck. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Yeah. Viva it's an all Elvis, all Elvis bumper music day here on the broadcast. Apparently, I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Des, I don't know if you were too busy screening calls uh, last uh, Monday, I think it was, when we were taking calls um, to hear that caller, John, who was uh, was talking about photo ID restrictions, oh, yes. I remember, and he referred to uh, Brad, he seemed to be, he was saying, you seem to be saying that these poor Negroes can't get uh, IDs to vote. Yeah. Remember that? Yes. Uh, that guy. Uh, you can go back and, and listen to that show. You can download it for free at bradblog.com if you wish. Um, but uh, Kurt Wilson, who is a, uh, a candidate, uh, he says, for Congress, 
I'm not even sure what party. Uh, he wrote in uh, Kurt Wilson, uh, Kurt for Congress 2018.com. He's running for Congress in the 23rd district out here in California. He says, Hello, Brad. I'm listening to you educate caller John Strait about voter ID. I'm flabbergasted that he was that ignorant about the issue. If I was a betting man, he only called up just so he could say the words poor Negro over the air and chuckle about it with his friends later. Thanks for being there to set people like him straight. I can't wait to hear about your story on Diebold. Oh, yes. <laughs> I anticipate it will be a good one. Yes, that was uh, the show. I had a bunch of election news, one story, but, of course, other breaking news. So I couldn't get to this Diebold story. I had been promising it. So let me make up for that today. And thank you, by the way, uh, Kurt, for that email. You can email me if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Okay. Uh, this from Reuters at the beginning of the week. Diebold Nixdorf, Inc. Yes, uh, Diebold, the uh, former voting machine company and uh, the ATM company who has now merged with this company, Nixdorf. Diebold, Nixdorf, Inc. and NCR Corp., two of the world's largest ATM makers, have warned that cyber criminals are targeting U.S. cash machines with tools that force them to spit out cash in hacking schemes known as jackpotting. Hence the uh, Elvis Viva Las Vegas uh, <laughs> bumper music there. Uh, the two ATM makers did not identify any victims or say how much money had been lost. Jackpotting has been rising worldwide in recent years, though it's unclear how much cash has been stolen because victims and police often do not disclose the details. The attacks were reported earlier on Saturday by the security news website Krebs on Security. They said these attacks had begun last year in Mexico. The companies confirmed to Reuters on Saturday that they had sent out these alerts to clients. NCR said in a Friday alert that the cases were the first confirmed jackpotting losses in the U.S. In other words, they have figured out how to hack these ATMs full of cash to start spitting out money. And this has been going on all over the world. And now it's going on in the U.S. And it's not just machines from one company that have this, uh, we'll call it a bug, a vulnerability. Okay. Yeah, but it's uh, the two biggest makers are both saying, yeah, this is a problem. Diebold said in a separate Friday alert, that U.S. authorities had warned the company that hackers were targeting one of its ATM models known as Optiva. So you can go out and look for that one and uh, see if you can get some uh, jackpot some money out of it. Uh, <laughs> Please don't do anything illegal. That was, yes. Did, did I? Uh, yes, thank you Just for, to make sure. for adding that. I got enough problems. Uh, a confidential U.S. Secret Service alert sent to banks said that uh, the hackers had targeted standalone ATMs, typically located in pharmacies and big box retailers and uh, uh, drive through ATMs, etc. Diebold Nixdorf's alert described that criminals had used... Um, to compromise, describe steps that criminals had used to compromise these ATMs. They include gaining physical access, replacing the hard drive, and using an industrial endoscope to depress an internal button required to reset the device. Wow. Russian cybersecurity firm Group IB has reported that cyber criminals remotely, uh, remotely attacked cash machines in more than a dozen countries across Europe in 2016. Similar attacks were also reported that year in Thailand and Taiwan. 
Those were remote attacks. These are direct attacks, apparently, uh, on machines that are full of money made by companies like Diebold. Now, I'm sure that when Diebold makes an ATM, they realize how important it is to have security on these machines to keep people from being able to break in either remotely or in person in, in such a way that money spews, cash money spews out of them. I'm sure they understand the security issues there. But knowing that, if they can't even protect those machines... What makes anyone think that the machines that they make, the voting machines that are still used in about a third of the country, the tabulators, uh, the, the result computer result tabulators that are used in at least a third of the country, I think even more than that, systems that are made by Diebold. Now, Diebold has got out of the voting machine company since they were so bad at it and uh, their main company took such a hit from the disastrous uh, entry into uh, voting systems. So they got rid of that, but we are stuck with their machines, their crappy machines. Now, do you think that their crappy voting systems are more secure than their machines that give out cash to the public? And yet we are still using those systems and we are doing little or nothing to change that before the crucial 2018 midterm elections. And Republicans are out there busy uh, creating phony memos that they say show that uh, our, our government should be brought down. The Department of Justice, the FBI is corrupt. And they are not doing one goddamn thing to protect our elections this November. Actually, our elections that start uh, just a month or two from now as primaries begin around the country on these very same machines made by companies like Diebold. But don't worry, your local county uh, county clerk will be able to... Um, We'll be able to protect uh, those election results. There's no need for you to have to worry. You don't have to oversee them. You don't have to count paper ballots where they exist because these computers will be fine. Viva Las Vegas, baby. That's it. All right. I got to get out of here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other that we have ever done, you can download them for free at bradblog.com anytime. Though I do thank those of you who take the time, and it won't take long, to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us try to continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves, for good or bad. That's bradblog.com slash donate. We really need your help, at least until I can figure out how to start uh, <laughs> getting no, a jackpotting no. going on on one of those Diebold machines. No illegal activity. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com <laughs> and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas.